0: Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. This is your host, Nina.
1: And it's Heather. Our goal at Diversity on Fire is to inspire you to think and act differently. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics.
0: Today's guest has an extensive experience working inside the criminal justice system. She received her business degree from Rutgers, her Juris Doctorate from Seton Hall Law School, and then studied trial advocacy at Temple University. She served as an assistant district attorney for Philadelphia's district attorney office before moving on as a defense attorney for her own law firm. She practices in several different areas of law with a special passion for helping business owners legally protect themselves. She's a speaker, podcast host, and a success trainer with an online educational platform specializing in in coaching entrepreneurs to six plus figure earner results but that's not all. This woman is an international traveler who loves life and lives it. She makes sure to find the joys in life and experiences them. And finally, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention this fierce diva is also a fashionista who knows how to rock some Louis Vuitton. We are super excited to welcome Chevelle McPherson to the show.
2: Welcome. Yay. Thanks for having me so happy to be here.
0: We are super happy to have you, especially this month, uh, focusing on the criminal justice system. We are um, really happy to have somebody with such extensive background in these matters. So thank you for uh, joining us today.
2: Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure.
0: So we definitely want to dig in a little bit more into your law experience. And in order to do that, we'd like to kind of just go ahead into your personal background and where you started, how you got into law, and what that journey looks like for you.
2: Okay, so how did I get into law? Uh, interesting. Um, my Actually, one of the motivating factors for me getting into law was uh, my brother getting involved with the criminal justice system and uh, me actually uh, not observing him to have competent counsel. And uh, my undergrad degree, I actually was focused on business management and accounting, which is how I've sort of full circle back. <laughs> but uh, back in in college, uh, my my undergrad, I thought I was going to do business. And then the last year of law school, I took a business law class. And then, as I mentioned, my brother was going through a, a federal trial and I would pop in and, and watch and observe. And I thought, wow, this is a travesty of justice. Uh, so that really set a spark in me to further my education and sort of switch over and go to law school.
0: So you knew, even just not having any experience, like you understood that he just wasn't getting proper representation. Did you feel like they weren't asking the right questions or did you feel like they weren't presenting things that seemed super obvious?
2: No, I feel like his lawyer was incompetent. I think I felt like his lawyer was incompetent. I feel like, um, well, actually his lawyer was incompetent because he was ultimately disbarred. So I, I think that my suspicions were correct. Um, yeah. So basically what happens uh, when there is my brother was charged um, in, with a federal case. And usually there are when there are lots of defendants, like co-defendants. The court will appoint attorneys if you don't have the money to, you know, because everybody can't get the same lawyer and then people can't afford. So everybody has the right to have an attorney. So competent, effective assistance of counsel is what they call it. So my brother uh, was assigned an attorney who just was didn't seem very effective. Um, I observed the trial. And again, back then, I wasn't I didn't have any legal training. But to me, he just seemed um, intoxicated sometimes, Um, incompetent. It was it was something to watch. And I thought, wow, uh, this is if this is the type of attorneys that they are assigning to people, especially facing this type of time, um, then that's a problem. Now, I'm in the legal system. So let me just say this. That's not that that lawyer um, does not represent most of the lawyers in the field and many that I personally know. But you will. It's like any profession, you're going to get some people who are the cream of the crop and you're going to get some that are just not. And he just happened to get one that was just not. And so based on my observations, I thought that I could, you know, I could do a better job than that. So I, it really did inspire me to go to law school. And ultimately, um, when I went to law school, I went to Seton Hall, I actually volunteered. Um, as a result of some of those observations, and I did a I worked at the courthouse, and I worked for the public defender's office as an intern, my last year of law school, interviewing defendants and actually assisting with representing them in court. Um, so yeah, so that that's how the spark started for me.
1: Oh, this is huge. So like having an inside, first of all, you've you've got both sides of it, right? Like you've been yes. district attorney and defense. So having that inside view is like. Phenomenal. Based on what you're saying, I think it's it's kind of an interesting perspective because when you ask kind of the general public, and this is totally a generalization, but there is this idea that lawyers are whatever. There's kind of a negative connotation that can sometimes come along with that Mm -hmm. because we don't pay attention to all the good things. We only see the negative and that's what we hold on to. But coming from your perspective or being involved in it intimately are there some processes that you've learned that would be surprising on either side of the fence? Well, here's
2: the thing. The the, the criminal justice system, I always say, I mean, if you want to be bluntly honest, it was not really designed um, to be favorable to minorities. Um, it just wasn't designed. I mean, we can go back historically. Um, we can go way back to, you know, there was slavery. And then after there was slavery, then they, when they freed the slaves, then they had to create some kind of system, a criminal justice system and who designed that system and who was in mind when that system was designed. So we could go back historically to really think about just the whole premise of how the system was set up, but I don't think that it was necessarily designed to be favorable um, to minorities. And that's just my opinion based on my experiences. Also, um, I think that if you look at this, the criminal justice system to support what I'm saying, um, if you look at the laws that are really more so applicable to minorities, which would be the drug laws and things you know laws of that that nature, the laws where most minorities engage in certain criminal activity. You know, drugs and and guns and, and street violence. That's just common amongst most minorities. Um, so there are a lot of penalties that are stricter than say if it was like white collar crime, which they don't really participate in. So if you want to start comparing it, and I'll even give you an example. I had a client um once, a young African American um kid who had never been in trouble before. Um, actually it was a gun case and actually his cousin had the gun but gave him the gun because he thought his cousin had a violent record and if he would have got caught with the gun he would got a lot of time so he gave the gun to my guy and my guy admitted it was his gun thinking because he's never been in trouble blah blah, blah. but here's the thing in the state of new jersey they have increased the penalties on possessing a firearm so my client who has no records never have been in trouble uh, I was, you know, upstanding citizen up until this incident was facing a minimum of three and a half years in prison because that's the law for having a gun. Now, when I started practicing law back in 2001 and became a defense attorney in like 2005, um, there were I had gun cases where I was able to get people probation. However, because there's a lot of gun violence and the laws have changed, that crime of just possessing a firearm, which you would just get probation for because no one was hurt. It was, you know, sort of nonviolent. It was a possession only type of case. um, You could get probation, but the laws have since changed. Now, just for possessing a firearm and having no criminal background at all, the minimum that you have to get is three and a half years state prison. Now, let's just switch on over to the federal. So, I'm explaining to my client. There's not much I can do because you're facing three and a half years in prison, and we're going back and forth. And he's trying to come up with all these defenses. And I basically said, unless we win, you're going to get three and a half years. So one day I'm off work. I'm actually in the salon, and I get a call of him. And it was a rapper. I can't think of his name. Some rapper just got caught at the airport with a gun, and he was like, "Well, he's gonna get probation." And I said you should have took your gun to the airport and, and it would have been a federal offense and you would have got less time because the feds don't care that much about guns as the state does, because it's a bigger problem for them. Do you understand where I'm going with this? So yeah, to have this same crime on one level where again, you have a lot of minorities that are carrying guns and there's a lot of violence and I get it and I understand it. He's looking at three and a half years where someone else is going to get caught in the federal system and could probably just get probation so
0: jurisdiction matters
2: right so there's disparity in some of the, the you know the um the laws um and depending on the jurisdiction and you know some of those factors it is it's just to, to especially to our clients it just doesn't always look fair and sometimes it isn't fair but so this is just some of the things that we're dealing with in the criminal justice system um i could go on and on with the different cases of you know laws that are just I'm not. Listen, I was a prosecutor, so I am definitely not someone who thinks that, you know, crime should go unpunished at all. Right. I don't want any criminals in my neighborhood. Um, I don't want to have anything you know to do with them as far as having to be, in, in, you know, society and being endangered. I get it. But at the same time, we all have rights. And unfortunately, um, a lot of times when we see people complaining of injustice is oftentimes minorities.
0: So I want to ask you about that. What garnered your interest initially was your brother having incompetent representation, Mm -hmm. but yet you went into being a Mm -hmm. prosecutor first. How did that happen? And, And then obviously you switched, but kind of share with us what
2: that looked like. Well, you sound like my brother. When I told him I was going to be a prosecutor, he was like, what? You're going to go work for the man, what, right? so so here's the thing you have to think about it um when i when i was offered the job to go you know go work as a prosecutor i actually thought about it from that perspective and here's the thing if you really want to solve a problem you want to really be where the problem is the problem is not on the the the, the problem is in my opinion if it's going to be changed let you know it's is we can change it from the side i'm complaining about because here's the thing When defense attorneys walk into a courtroom, the first person that they speak to is the prosecutor, right? So if I'm a fair prosecutor, I'm going to try and get a fair resolution. So in all actuality, even though, you know, even though we look to the prosecutor as some of the defendants say the persecutor, um, that's, that's not really the case because the law is supposed to be about justice. I would tell when I was a prosecutor and I'm talking to defense attorneys and even as a defense attorney, when I'm talking to prosecutors, I tell them our role is really supposed to be the same. Our role is supposed to be justice. Right. That's what we're there for. It's justice It's not about it's, it's not about anything other than justice. Like is is justice going to prevail. So if that's the case, if I have a file and I'm a prosecutor, I should be looking at that file, not just to persecute someone, but I should be looking at that file to really judge the integrity of the arrest and the police paperwork and things of that nature, because the police officers are out on the street and they're doing their job. And, you know, you have some good ones and you have some bad ones. But at the end of the day, they don't put the cases up in court. They make the arrest, but then they have to go through the prosecutor's office. So if you really want to be in a position, in my opinion, To make change, the prosecutor's office is a great place to start because the prosecutor is the one who makes the decision on which charges are going to get filed, um, what negotiations to make. I'm as a defense, a criminal defense attorney. I'm sort of at the mercy when it comes to plea negotiations, not when it comes to trial, but I'm at the mercy of the prosecutor. Because when I walk in the courtroom, the first thing I'm going to talk to the prosecutor about is what offer do you have for me? So the prosecutor has already reviewed the file, has reviewed my client's record and is going to make a recommended offer to me. Right. So wouldn't you want that person to be someone who is open minded when you want that person to be someone who has life experience when you want that person to um, be someone that doesn't think all minorities are guilty? Would you want that person to also realize that, you know, crime should go unpunished? You just want this person to be well rounded. Right. So for me, from my perspective, I'm coming from a family. I'm coming. I'm coming from an inner city. I'm coming from a a situation where you know I have family members who has been have been part of the criminal justice system. But I'm also coming from a perspective of being trained um, as an officer of the court, so I understand what the laws are. But I'm bringing my background and my experiences to the um, to the courtroom. So when a defense attorney, you know, comes up to me, initially I can review a file and I can say, okay, this is a case, let's just say this is a case where I'm thinking, okay, I'm gonna offer this guy, you know, one to two years in prison. I'm just giving an example. And the defense attorney comes up to me and he goes, you know, um Chevelle, um, I really you should consider these things. You know, he has this background, has this. I can listen with an open mind and and be receptive to now it doesn't mean I'm gonna agree, but sometimes I do because I understand and I'm trying to be fair and I'm trying to render justice, right? So as a prosecutor, it's not you know, it's not just about um, getting a conviction. As a prosecutor, it's about really trying to look at cases from the perspective of justice. And I'm telling you, the day I left the prosecutor's office, there were a lot of defense attorneys that were very, very sad because they know if they walked in my courtroom, listen, there were some cases I went hard for. I want the guy to get all the time in the world. I didn't ever want him to see the day of light. But then there were other cases where, I mean, there's, I have a case, one case stands out in my head where I remember as a prosecutor, um, an incompetent, remember this, this goes back to experience, had an incompetent defense attorney come in the courtroom. I didn't really recognize him. Now as a prosecutor, I'm there every day. So I know most of the defense attorneys, those are the good, those are the bad, those are the okay, those are the lazy. This guy I never recognized a day in my life. So he probably did some family law and decided to take on his case. I don't know what happened, but here's an example. He comes in the courtroom. He walks up to me. He gives me his client's name and he asks me, what is the offer? This is a gun case. This is in Pennsylvania. This is Pennsylvania didn't have the mandatory like New Jersey, right? So I could give this kid probation. So he doesn't have a record. He's not a bad kid. I um, think he's an ex- Hispanic kid or whatever. And, um, but it's a gun possession. So I have to give him something. So um, I offered him probation and uh, he went to talk to his client the client came back and he said, yeah, I'll take it. And I said, okay, great. So we're going to put the plea through. Now, this is an example. Why you want to have, when you asked me, why, why do you want, why would I want to be a prosecutor? I'm going to give you this. I'm going to tell you what happened. When you get ready to put a plea through, you're supposed to put a factual basis on the record. You're supposed to tell the judge what are the facts that you would prove as a prosecutor and you would put forth your evidence that you would submit if this case went to trial. So prosecutor asked me, Miss McPherson, can you give me a factual of this case? So I open up my file and I basically say on this date, this defendant was walking through this block. He was in possession of a firearm and, and blah, blah, blah. OK, great. Now I'm going to mark and move my evidence. I look at the ballistics report. <laughs> it says the gun is inoperable. I didn't look at the ballistics report before because that's what his, I mean, if I were going to trial, but his defense attorney should have looked at the ballistics report and he should have walked in the courtroom and he should have said to me, you know, that that gun was a piece of junk. It didn't even work. So here I am as a prosecutor about to get, give someone a conviction for a gun that doesn't work that I don't even have the evidence for. And so I'm standing it because now I'm in a, I'm in a predicament, right? Remember I'm a prosecutor supposed to be, you know, prosecuting cases, another conviction under my belt. So they say, right, that's what they say, right? So I'm standing in the courtroom and the judge goes, and, I, and the judge goes, Miss McPherson, because I'm looking at the evidence, mark and move your evidence, man, mark and move your evidence. And I have to make an ethical decision at this point, because I could have easily said, I'm going to mark and move C1, C2, and that would have been it. And this kid would have had a conviction for something he shouldn't have had a conviction for, for the rest of his life. So I looked at the Justice mark of your evidence and I said, um, Your Honor, at this time, the Commonwealth makes a motion to dismiss all charges. And she just looked at me, but me and the, the judge, knew, she loved me. She knew like I was ethical, right? So um, she said, Very well, case, you know, I'm withdrawn. He, um, charges dismissed. The lawyer comes up to me afterwards. His client's thanking him and shaking his hand and he's, you know, all happy and stuff, right? So then the law- lawyer comes over to me afterwards and he says, what happened? Why'd you do that? And I said, because you didn't do your job. You didn't read the file. I said, the ballistics said that it was inoperable. I said, I did not have a case. I said, I could have had one if I was unethical, but I'm not here for that. We're all here for justice. I said, but next time, do me a favor. If you're going to be in this profession and you're going to be a defense attorney, you might not get another me. So read your file or get another profession.
1: Ooh, okay. I love this. I love this answer. This is, and the fact that you said ethical so many times, I mean, I can't tell you how much I love it. I literally can't. So I have a I have a two-part question, kind of mm-hmm. follow-up, kind of not. Because everything that you just said is exactly how it should be. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's not how it is, especially not evenly across the board. So um full disclosure, mm-hmm. I got in trouble. Most people, when I tell them that, they don't believe me. Mm-hmm. But if my skin color was different, they'd believe me. And I have no qualms about saying that I know that for a fact, because there are people that are sitting by beside me that don't have a record and they are more likely to be considered having a record. Well, I technically don't because I was a minor, but anyways, right. <laughs> um, regardless, I know that for a fact in my own personal life. Right. So the first part of the question is in your experience, do you see patterns in how the discrimination is applied in cases, either side of the aisle, and then the second part of the question, and this is a lot, so sorry, <laughs> but the second part of the question is, again, you mentioned ethical so many times, and I love that. And I, I honestly hope that there are so many people like you out there, but I also know that there's a lot that aren't. So what would be your biggest, what do you think the biggest challenge or the biggest problem is with our justice system? In your opinion, of course.
2: Well, in my opinion, I think this is, is a systematic system. Um, It goes deeper than the prosecutor and the defense attorney, because remember, the laws are written, they come from the legislature, right? So who's writing the laws um, and who's lobbying for the laws? And, you know, you know, you got a prison system that's privatized in some places, right? So you have to look at all of those factors. Um, I don't think that most, I don't think that most people in the criminal justice system intend to be discriminatory or or I don't, I don't think that that's an intention. I think that the system is just systematically designed in a way that it's just, it is what it is. Right. Um, because like I said, we can go back to when it was designed, who it was designed by, who it was designed to, you know, police and protect and who it was designed to punish. Um, and look at the, 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 the end disparity in the laws, Right. Like I just said, the gun case over here is one thing over here. It's something else. Certain crimes that are um, committed by certain uh, minorities or certain you know, people in a certain
0: neighborhood or whatever. Kind of like cocaine versus crack. Right. Exactly. Right.
2: So, you know, you look at you look at the way the laws, the system is just designed. And it's just inherently discriminatory. So, you know, what would you, what can we do about that? Try and redesign a system that was designed so long ago and has been operating this way for so long, right? But you will really have to go back and you would have to look at it. You know, it would have to be torn down and rebuilt, in my opinion, because there's so much, just think about this. Just think about, you know, like even what happened with George Floyd, right? Just think about this. You know, I've had clients and there's been defendants that have been complaining about police officers doing things like this for a long time. Well, what made his case so different was the fact that it was televised and everybody and and actually not only televised, but televised during a pandemic when people were able to go out and and protest and do things that they normally would not have been because they would have had to go to work or they wouldn't have seen it. But what happened in that case is not something new. Right. Um, I actually did a um, I had a a Facebook live on it and I actually brought in some, you know, different different uh, people. I had like I have a black public defender, um, one of my white girlfriends, another one of my white girlfriends, just different people. It's just like a melting pot. And we had a conversation. And the first question that I asked everybody, I said, "I I don't want I only want you to answer this question. Yes or no. And I started with the two white women. And I asked them when you watch the video of George Floyd. Did you find that to be shocking and, you know, appalling and, you know, like, like, you know, just beyond, you know, like you couldn't imagine it. And they were crying and they were like, yeah, yeah. And then the other white woman, she was like, oh, my God, they couldn't hold their tears back. Then I got two black women on there, (laughs) me and another female. We work in a criminal justice system. So I said to the to the black female attorney, I said, Joellen, when you watched that tape, did it bother you? Did it? She said. No, it's normal. And then I answered and they said, what about you? I said, I mean, I was bothered by it, but it wasn't shocking or surprising. Mm -hmm. Or so do you see the difference? It's like, this is something that a lot of minorities um, and people are dealing with minorities and associated with minorities have been experiencing and hearing about and witnessing for years, right? But in in the white community where, they don't get to see it. They just hear it. Now you get to see it with your own eyes. And so the issue becomes, this goes back to the system because that's part of the system for that to have happened. That officer had to feel confident that he could do that and get away with it because his actions were so blatant. So what made him feel so confident and arrogant that he could do it and get away with it is because of the system that he's been operating on un- under that's the system that's problematic.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I, I will be honest, I didn't even watch the whole video. Because what I said at the time is I don't need to to know that it's true. Right. But that's because I have intentionally surrounded myself with people that are different than me. Right. Like I like a lot of I like culture and things like that. And but I was intentional about it. Look, I'm in New right. Hampshire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's right. pretty wide up here. So you have to be intentional about that. But so basically just reversing back. And I'm sorry, Nina, I'm asking a lot of questions. I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, reversing back just for a minute because we do try to be, I don't know, solution oriented. Not that we're the problem solvers, okay. right? We're not going to solve everything on, on a mm-hmm. conversation. But if we, I think tearing down the system might be the, the best way to build it from scratch. But I also think that it's the least likely of the options. Absolutely.
2: So. Alternatives. You want alternatives to that? Yeah, like little what, yeah, what no, little, little al- baby
1: steps. Can we I mean
2: the first thing is to go out and vote, right? You have to vote. And I'm not talking about just when a president is running because people love to run out and vote for the president. But the president is running the United States of America. But who's running your neighborhood? Who's running, you know, um, your police chiefs, um, your your senate representatives on the local level? You know, that's where you start first because we put these people again, if we're talking about that officer, he's under a he's under a, a system who's a who's his senior who, who's in his seniority, right? Who does he have to answer to, right? A lot of these people mayors, they're elected. Right? So, get out and vote for your local your local representatives, because that's where the change can start on a local level before we start talking about changing the world and changing the system. That's the first thing that you can do. The other thing is stay educated and stay abreast and, and stay diverse in your news. Like listen to multiple channels of news. Keep keep updated as to what is going on, right? Um, if, you, if you constantly hear reports and if you're in the community and there are for instance, um, police officers. There are some police, they're great police officers. Let me also say this too, because I have, have a brother who went to prison, but I have a brother who's a cop. I had a cousin who's the chief of police. So I mean, I'm surrounded by it all, right? So I'm not biased against any side. I am completely, you know, for justice, I'm impartial and I'm not biased at all because I believe that they're good and bad on both sides. And I've operated on both sides. Some of my best friends are officers and detectives and cops. And then there are some that I know that I've hope that I never would have a case again because I know that they're corrupt because I've seen their files. Right. So, but at the end of the day, you also have to report Um, we have to report these officers uh, because even in that case with George Floyd, he had a history, right? So why was he even out there that day? Again, we have to make our voices heard when we, when, you know, we, when we can find out that officers have been um, having a habit of doing things that are unlawful um, or in violation of the constitution. We as citizens, I mean, the taxpayers are paying their salary, right? They work for us. Right. So, you know, just like if you were an employee, if you were an employer, I mean, we got to work on getting some people fired. Okay. So again, it goes back down to the local level. Um, going out to your meetings and your town hall meetings and just becoming active. Um, you don't have to, like I said, you don't have to run to Washington to make changes. You don't have to, you know, wait for the presidential election. You can start doing small things. And then the other thing is when you do, you know, you know when you do hear that new laws are going to be passed, what's the process for you to get involved um, to, to either encourage, help the law or to stop it from getting passed? Because laws get passed. Right. So what are we doing to to make sure that the laws that are getting passed are in our best interest? So basically, from a from a standpoint of just what anybody could do, two words, get involved, get involved. Don't sit back and be a complainer. Right. You don't have to sit back and say, oh, the laws are unfair. OK, well, where were you when they were getting passed? <laughs> right. Right. You know, oh, my God, that officers. Okay, where were you when, you know, his record was revealed or, you know, and then even inside, like they call it the blue wall of silence. But that's another thing, too. Some of the officers on the inside, they have to start stepping up, you know. But that's another thing, too, with laws, because we can we can work to get laws passed, which make it criminal to stand there and watch another officer murder someone. Right. Because you got four officers standing there. You know, we need to make sure that in action will be punished when you are an officer of the law. Like, you can't just do that. So they have to tear down that blue wall, and we have to be the ones to encourage that, encourage that by insisting and in getting involved in, in making sure certain laws are passed, right? I mean, like in New Jersey, for instance, um, we have a law, we Megan's Law, and this is a law, there was a young girl, who had been raped by, you know, some neighbor and it shouldn't happen. Well, her parents got out there and they went through the neighborhood and they got petition signed. So when you hear these laws with people's name, that means that we can get involved and get laws passed. Right. Megan's law is like it made sex offenders. I mean, it just really made it difficult for them. That's what we have to do. We have to make it difficult for for bad officers. We have to make it difficult for unjust laws. We have to make it difficult. We have to voice our opinion. And and at the local level is very important.
0: So you can't be a spectator and just expect things to get done because everything, the system got built somehow with with right. perseverance. So that makes sense. So, so flipping the script then to the other side in your defense experience, you know, why did you change over to defense and what is your whole understanding theory whatever you want to call it on the concept of innocent until proven guilty
2: <laughs> well um, one of the reasons why I switched over was because um, as a as a prosecutor I didn't I had some discretion but I didn't have a lot of autonomy over like I didn't get to choose the cases that I got to prosecute I mean I had some discretion but ultimately the decisions come from above right? So there were, you know, some cases that I didn't really want to prosecute, um, but it was my job to to um prosecute the cases. Um the other thing that's just from from that perspective, but the other thing too is you I was I went to law school to earn a, a decent living, and as a prosecutor, the the, the salary was not <laughs> that great, right? So that was a factor because I had a kid who was getting ready, you know, I had my son when I was younger, and so I had a kid who was about to go to college, and I didn't know if he was going to get a scholarship. I mean, he ultimately did, but um, economics was also a big factor because I needed to make sure I could get out here and make enough money to be able to, you know, support my family, right? So um, I knew that it couldn't be sort of long term for me economically. So those are just some of the reasons um, that I did it. And the other thing was, I, um, I kind of when I went to criminal, when I went into criminal law, uh, I kind of wanted to go on the defense side. Again, based on the things that I saw with my brother's case, but I also thought it would be wise to get training on that side and to learn it from the other side. Right. Um, to see their perspective, um, because it's really helped me as a defense attorney, because I know like when my clients tell me, you know, they give me an explanation of something, I tear it apart as though I'm a prosecutor. And I'm like, this is why that that does not make sense, right? So, uh, and a couple of times I would say, oh, that's right, I'm the defense attorney, right? Um, But it was really, it's really helpful because I read cases differently. I I prepare them differently. um, And it's easier to go up against a prosecutor when you've been one because I've been trained um, as a prosecutor. So it made my job as a defense attorney more, more it made it easier. I'm not gonna say easy, but it made it easier because I was, an insider of of the of the system and how it works. And then that's also a very uh effective marketing um strategy because when defense defendants hear you were a prosecutor, they love to hire you because they know that you know the system. You you know like you're not just like you're not like the attorney that just walked in court and was like, give me a deal, right? They know that you know how to read a case and prepare a case and try a case um because there are not a lot of lawyers um other than you know criminal defense attorneys and um even public defenders and you know prosecutors that actually try cases civil is a lot of negotiating and um in criminal it, it, well some places they plead more than others but you get the most trial experience in my opinion as in the in the criminal side whether it's defense or prosecutor you get most of your trial experience so go having done you know um trials as a prosecutor Um, When I got ready to do my trials as a defense attorney, it was, you know, I felt experienced, right? Because I had already done trials. So it was a natural, you know, transition for me at the time. Um, I felt like I had, and then I felt like, you know, once I was in the prosecutor's office for so many years and I had tried, you know, so many cases and I had went from the municipal court to juvenile to waiver to major. So I had really, uh, I had really transitioned up. Into that office. So I felt comfortable going out to, you know, now represent
1: individuals. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. I like that there's the both sides. Cause I mean, coming from a, you know, personal perspective, I would think the same way. If you have experience as a prosecutor, yeah, I want you as my defense attorney. Right. So I like that. Um, just out of respect to your time, we're going to do the, the final two questions that we always ask um, our guests. And so they're kind of tailored to you specifically. For yourself, what is the, one thing that you wish more people knew or understood about their criminal justice system
2: that sometimes you have to make a business decision it's not always it's not always innocent or guilty and that's I, I wish people would understand that it's not it unfortunately it's not whether you committed the crime or you didn't commit the crime. it's what can be proven. That's the biggest thing I wish people would realize because at the end of the day it's going to boil down to what the evidence shows. Right. So if you know, I have people, uh, clients, and they want to fight and they want to go to trial. And I'm just like, that is not wise at all. Like, have you read the file? Right. Um, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And then sometimes it's again, I said, look at it from business because sometimes it's like, okay, you could be charged with five things and you know, three of them you didn't do, two of them you did. Okay. So let's do the math. If you went to trial and you just got convicted on the one thing you did, you will get more time than the offer. So why are we? Why are you not taking the offer? Right. So some it boils down to a business decision Um, like the guy that I was telling you about with the with the gun. Um, Three and a half years. He couldn't get less than three and a half years. You can make a motion in New Jersey to deviate from the Graves Act. That motion was filed. That motion was lost. Um, So the minimum he could get is three and a half years. If he goes to trial, he could get more. It's a business decision at that point. You know, what can they prove? Um, I've had clients who I I would just adamantly say there's like no way you should go to trial. But then I have had clients that I say you should go to trial all day, every day. Right. Um, And I don't. And I'm looking at it from an evidence perspective. I'm not really looking at it from I don't think I've ever even had a conversation with any of my clients as to whether they committed a crime or not. And I've been doing this for uh, what 20 years. I've never had a conversation with any of my clients. Did they commit? I don't know if they committed a crime. And I honestly, I don't know. That's I interesting. Care. I never would have thought that. Yeah. I've never asked my clients. I've, I've never asked them if they, I've never asked my, I mean, some of them I know if they did it or not because, again, you know, but it's not, that's not even a question that I even ask my clients because, because that's where, remember, you just said, you asked the question about um, innocent, being innocent until proven guilty, right? So if my client is presumed innocent, why do I care if he committed the crime? He's presumed innocent, right? So I don't need to ask him that. I need to look and see if the prosecutor has enough to prove he is not innocent but guilty. So it's a, you know, it's a business decision in terms of evaluating the evidence and seeing what the probabilities are of my client being found not guilty or guilty.
1: First of all, I just want to comment on that because I, I totally get it from your perspective as it has to be a business decision. I am very basic. I love true crime. Listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. So I I often think about this and we hear a lot of like wrongfully accused, wrongfully convicted. And I always think to myself, if I am ever like accused of or even convicted of, I don't want to say, I don't want to plea that like I did it. Right. I never want to say that I did it. Mm-hmm. So it's just such a hard balancing act because from your side, you want to get the best option for them possible right. but then on the personal side it's like but damn like if i know i didn't do this why am i ever well, gonna say that? Well, but
2: see, but see that's a different story because if i'm talking to my client and i'm saying make a business decision but my client is adamant now no one's you know really said i committed it but i have had clients say oh i did not commit this crime if you didn't commit the crime then i mean there's there's no business decision to make right because if you didn't commit the crime, then you have the right to go to trial and you should go to trial, but you still should consider the evidence. But what I, it's a difficult thing to tell someone who's telling you they didn't commit a crime to take a plea. First of all, they have to tell the court that they committed the crime. So you can't tell someone who's saying I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Right. But you do have to let them know what the consequences are. And if, if they're adamant um, and they're really innocent, you know what? They may have to go to trial. And, and if they lose, they may have to appeal and they may end up in an innocence project. They may have to give up a lot of years of their life. But then again, like I said, it's still a business decision because look at the innocence projects. You've got people who have been in jail 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. What if that person was offered like five years or 10 years early on? I mean, again, it's a decision. Do you want to sit in jail for 30 years or do you want to sit in jail for five? I don't know. Like, I don't have the answer. Right. But I am saying it is something that you have to evaluate for yourself because we're talking about serving time in prison. Um, So you do have to look at it um, from from the perspective of what is the likelihood of me going, which is
0: no small thing when your whole life is. Right. And again, like
2: I said, I have clients who I have. I I mean, I had one client who wanted to take a plea. I wouldn't let him take a plea. I wouldn't even let him. I said, I'm not on my dime. I end up getting all the charges dismissed, um, you know, because of the evidence. But I said, there's no way because some people, some people, some people the evidence is strongly against them and they want to go to trial. And then other people, there's like very little evidence, but they're scared because they don't want to risk going to trial. So it's not, it's not an easy answer at all. Um, And I would say you have to take it case by case, but I do wish that people would at least start looking at this initially from a business perspective. But then after that, you know, your specifics really do matter. Um, And then, you know, your, your long-term game too, because if you lose, um, your trial, and then you think that you, you know, you're gonna be, uh, you know, um, you're gonna be acquitted later on through appeal or another process. Then again, that's a decision that you, you know you have to make individually. Gotta mm-hmm. make
1: what one small thing can we all do? So, the listeners of the show and us personally, what small thing can we do this week right now to become more educated and more engaged? with law the justice system issues within the system what can we do to get become to more engaged and make it better
2: get to know who's your mayor who's your city council who's making decisions get to know who they are most people don't even know you know who the president is of the united states but they don't know who their you know their local representatives are right so i would say get to know your local representatives and get to know what's going on in your community from the legal perspective side and find out how, you know, you can get involved, how you can stay abreast of what's going on, how you can find out if, you know, new laws are coming, you know, get yourself, um, get yourself familiar with your local um, politicians. Um, Don't, like I said, you don't have to wait four years for the president, find out what's going, even, even, I mean, even from the local school board, like these are things that we should know. We sit back and, and we, we let things go on, and then when something happens and we hear, you know this person did this or this person did that, or this person is you know was discriminate discriminating, blah blah, then we want to become reactive. So my suggestion is become proactive in your own community when it comes to the criminal justice system. Do not wait to hear um, what has happened. Like you don't want like the laws in New Jersey with the gun. It was probation. And then all of a sudden it's three years. Where were you in your community when these laws were being changed and passed? Did you voice your opinion? Did you say anything? Right. So now when you know your son um, is has a gun and somebody passed it all to him and he didn't mean any harm and he didn't hurt anybody or kill anybody. And he could have got probation because it was a minor offense. Now he's going to go to state prison for three and a half years instead of going to college. Where were you when that law was passed?
0: Love it. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a good point. Heather and I were talking when it, this last election, we went to vote and there was something on, there was a proposition on my ballot because I'm Iowa, but I had no idea what it was because I hadn't educated myself. And so you saying mm-hmm. that, I was like, well, I had no idea what it was. And so yeah. that makes sense because that was totally within my power to do so.
2: Right. And then, you know, people go, to, people go to vote and you go in the booth and you see the president and the vice president, you don't know anybody else. And you're just like randomly picking people. That happens all the time, right? So, or you just go straight down a Democratic line or straight down a Republican line, right? But get to know something about these people because they're making decisions for you.
1: Where, um, would you like to share where people can find you and connect with you? Because you do a lot more than just law. I uh, love, love the yes. zero excuses. That <laughs> is my game. Love it. Where can people connect with you?
2: So I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook at Chevelle McPherson, Instagram, Chevelle McPherson. It's my name. Um, Yeah, so you can connect with me, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Chevelle McPherson. And my website is McPherson Law Offices. You can always go there and check me out.
1: Thank you so much for taking this time. We know you are super busy. You got a lot of important things to do. (laughs) So we really, really appreciate it. You are
0: welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're
1: welcome. Thank you, as always, for listening into today's episode. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply, and we hope today's conversation with Chevelle did just that. This week's call to action is to go to your town or city website and find out who your police chief is, who your mayor is, and anyone else who's locally making decisions on your behalf. Get to know who they are and what they stand for. As Chevelle said, don't just sit back and complain, go out and take action. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed on today's episode are our own. We do encourage you to do your own research and come to your own fact-based conclusions. If you have a topic that you would like us to discuss, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, please reach out by email, info at diversityonfire.com, or leave us a voice note. The link for that can be found in the show notes. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Diversity on Fire, at HP Pivots, at Hollywood Hobo. If you're enjoying the show, we would very much appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. And please, share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations.
2: It's not always innocent or guilty.